welcome to Tink Think, the show where we take a deep dive into a theme and explore all of its connections to parts of media that we each bring to the table. I'm Gabe. And I'm James. Henry? Oh. I guess. Okay. Well, Henry, we miss you. If you're out there, um... (laughs) <laughs> assuming you're listening he's not um, listening he's probably not listening but if you're out there um we we care about you we wish you all the best uh and we'll we'll strive to find someone to fill your featured guest role that can share in a fraction of your wit um but i guess for now we must endure so uh um uh, uh let's see for everyone else henry's not here <laughs> yeah yeah that's what we're getting at uh henry is henry is busy which is perfectly understandable and so as he adjusts with his commitments we're going to continue forward and we spoke with him and he thinks it'd be really fun to have guests on that's something we've wanted to do for a while and so this is a nice way to do it so that we're accommodating everyone's schedules uh, but before we go too far um gesundheit um that doesn't start with a j jum <laughs> <laughs> Jump. Goodbye, me. Um, so where we left I totally off, forgot about that game. <laughs> I didn't. Um, been sitting on that one for weeks. No. So where we left off, we had last uh, we had last spoken to you in the last uh, previous year. Essentially, is when we had last recorded, and then I was really late to upload it. Yeah. Sorry. This is uh, we're back for season two. That's a, is that how we do that? Is I don't. I, I don't. I mean, think fine. Podcasts have seasons. Sometimes they will break up into se- Well, it depends. If it's like a. If it is predetermined what the content will be, mm. then they will do, you know, they'll do, like, a sprint of episodes. Like, yeah, story, story-based story ones. Yeah. Or, like, um, any sort of, um, like, I know Dungeons & Dragons podcast is popular. Like, every adventure would be, like, right, a season. Right, right. There's also a more structured, uh, so not necessarily a, a narrative story, but, like, more of a show as opposed to, like, a, a, a frequent conversation. We'll do like I'm thinking of uh, Invisibilia, is this podcast uh, NPR? It's re- it's really good NPR um, NPR, but they have seasons because they'll do you know they'll release an episode every so often for a period of time mm-hmm. and then basically be dormant while they're working on whatever their next episodes are and then okay. they come back with a new yeah, yeah, season yeah, yeah. that has a different theme and a different that sort of thing. Um, on the other hand, we have no such structure. This is just episode whatever. Oh, yeah, Christ, what episode is it? It depends on which episodes you count. <laughs> yes. Oh, God, that's a great question. Uh, the, for those listening, there's a secret bonus episode that we're determining that, how we're going to release. The link is hidden in code somewhere in this episode. God, now we have to make up a code and put it in the... <laughs> I mean, yes. Yes. It's there. It'll, um, it'll be re- it, it will probably be released maybe even before this comes out. That's will it? <laughs> oh my! I don't know. Are you? Is that a is that a jab at how slow I am to edit? Uh, uh, fast facts. That would be fair. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let's move right along. Let's do some fast facts. Um, let's do some fast facts. Let me get a timer out. Do you have one? I do actually. I didn't until two moments ago. Oh, because I forgot long? about fast facts. How long is a moment? Two. So you. It's about three units. Oh, so six six units ago. Yeah. Cool. Uh, well, I'm ready when you are. Uh, do you want to take it away? Oh, I'm starting with a fact. Well, you said you're ready. Oh, I'm ready when you oh, are. Oh, uh, sure. <laughs> okay, I'm ready. I asked if you have a fact, and you said yes. Two moments ago, I, I, or six units ago, I generated one. Um, yeah, go right ahead. Um, so there are there have been two live action Doctor Seuss films in oh, all of yes. history. Uh, one, <laughs> both instant classics. 
Honestly, one, How the Grinch Stole Christmas, starring Jim Carrey as the Grinch. Uh, and the second, the follow-up one, uh, The Cat in the Hat, starring Mike Myers as the Cat in the Hat. Uh, both, in my opinion, wonderful films. How the Grinch Stole Christmas is genuinely, like, it has pretty good reviews. People seem to like that movie. It was the first ever live-action Dr. Seuss movie made. So they said, we're going to continue this trend. The next one they made was Cat in the Hat. Upon the release of Cat in the Hat, the Dr. Seuss Foundation, which is the people who own the rights to all of Dr. Seuss's material, released a statement saying no one ever, no film company ever is allowed to make another live action Dr. Seuss film. There will, until Dr. Seuss's stories are in the public domain, there will not be another live action Dr. Seuss film. Because of Cat in the Hat. I love that so much. Right, let's slap a minute on there. That's hilarious. To me, at least. Because I wasn't associated with the production. I wasn't like a stakeholder in... Uh, I figured you know, children's a, a movies. fledgling Cat in the Hat film. That's... Yeah, it was terrifying. <laughs> I watched it the other night. <laughs> with, with with some friends. And it was like... It's it's so not meant for children. Yeah. Like, and there's, there's some kids movies where it's like... Though there's a couple adult jokes in there. Right, right. Everything the cat says is not meant for kids. Like, everything is an inappropriate joke. It's so funny. And, like, the, it, to the point where no film company ever, and the whole genre of live action, they just said no. That's why there have been, like, animated Dr. Yeah, Seuss yeah. films in the past uh, since then, but there will not be another live action one because of Mike Myers' Cat in the Hat. <laughs> oh, that's great. More about it in a minute. Yeah, that's, yeah. Um, so, my fact, I want to, I'll, I'll steal something. I watched a, a video recently um, on, let me just see if I can at least cite who it was that did it. Um, but it's basically about, yeah, so Lindsay Ellis is a YouTube channel. She does, like, video essays on, on things pertaining to film. Mm. Um, but basically, she talks about how Originally, when they got Robin Williams for the role of the genie in ah. Aladdin, uh, it sort of kicked off this. Because now when you look at basically any animated film, Disney or otherwise, there is a, A, there's like celebrity cast. Yeah. And B, there's a comedian, typically someone who does stand up, filling the role of comic relief that's usually some sort of non-human character or like okay. a non-protagonist uh, character. So you have like Mushu in Mulan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The genie in Aladdin. Interesting. Um, and or like Apu even in Aladdin. Apu. And so the the video essay sort of talks about how Robin Williams explicitly requested with Disney that they not use him to market it because he didn't want his work to be used as a means of selling merchandise, and he knew that that's what Disney would do with it. Uh -huh. And they were like, yeah, 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 no, we won't do that. Um, and then they did. And so multiple times he came out and said, like, I, like, yeah, I'm, like, upset at Disney because they specifically, like, they did the exact opposite of what I requested. And they just kept chugging along, selling things, using Robin Williams, like, in commercials. And in, I think the contract had some, like, you can only use my content as a X percentage of your general advertising push. Uh -huh. So you can't have, like, a bunch of commercials that are just with Robin Williams as the genie. Like, you can't. Yeah, 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 he didn't want that, and then they did. Um, and oh. then he was in, you know, Toys and Happy Meals, and he was, you know, all over the place. Uh -huh. um, so, yeah, it's really interesting. The The video is called How Aladdin Changed Animation, parentheses, by screwing over Robin Williams. Um, <laughs> and it talks about other work he was doing at the time and, and that sort of thing, and how they can't use 
his voice in uh, subsequent, like if they're like an Aladdin sequel, they were like his in a similar way to like the Geisel family being like, no, no, no you can't touch the Dr. Seuss stuff for live action. Mm-hmm. It was it was the same sort of thing where it was barred. Uh, so slap a minute on there. So he didn't want like like any like genie merchandise at all. I don't know that he didn't want any any merchandise. <clears throat> I think he just didn't want to be used to market the like as the primary form of advertising. But because you, before then ads weren't uh the the ads for animated films weren't like with these stars you love as these characters. It was yeah. they just grabbed like stage talent and then did that. And so you listen to old even like Aristocats or something, where like they all sound like you've plucked them off a stage and they're speaking with their transatlantic accents and yeah. stuff. Um and then that shifted and now all of the ads are just like how many celebrities can we get? Right, into? and that that is the thing. Like it's always the with. Like when the Into mm, the Woods mm. movie came out um, a couple of years ago, it kept saying with Johnny Depp as the wolf, uh, <laughs> and I was so excited because I didn't know the plot of the show. But that's a minute. Yep. <laughs> now no one will either. Invigorating. Uh, do you Vigorating. want to go first? Do you want me to go first? Um, Henry, do you want to? We can just give it, we can just give what it. movie do you, or, or what childhood story do you think he would have brought in? Oh, that's a good question. That's a really good question. Oh, I don't know. Um, what childhood movie would Henry have brought? Did you bring a, a movie or a... I brought a book. Okay. And then I also want to chat a little bit about a, a computer game. Oh, um, but that, I have less about that than I do about the book. Um, yeah, what would... That's a true. Like, write in or let us know what you think Henry would, and we'll we'll put a little poll up on the Instagram uh, Tink Thanks Show because I'm curious what people think. Uh, you're gonna have to explain for a second, James, if you no. don't. Not to interrupt. No, you're not going to. Or... No. Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> can I say what happened and then not explain why? Sure. So, James, uh, we're sitting in chairs opposite each other. James leaned back, took his phone out of his pocket, took his shoes off of his feet, and then held his feet up in the air and took a picture of his feet. Um, and that's that's all the information I'm allowed to impart per yep. the, uh, the handshake per NDA. <laughs> yeah, but if I <clears throat> potency of Disney, I'd probably just steam right ahead. So, yeah, what would so I, I genuinely don't know what Henry would have brought X Men. <laughs> I feel like I feel like he would have either brought something that was actually part of his childhood, or he would have brought like a Veggie Tales conspiracy theory. Yeah, probably. Speaking of Veggie Tales, <laughs> did you bring um, Veggie Tales? No, I okay. didn't. That would be hilarious. But <laughs> you know how Veggie Tales—you kind of forget that, like, it's very—it's centered around religion. Once you think of it, once it's hard to forget how, yeah. how on the nose it is because yeah. you're like, oh, Veggie Tales—that wonderful show. They had like uh, that movie, Lord of the Beans, which I can't <laughs> believe we didn't talk about. <laughs> yeah, um, that wasn't—I've I've never watched it. That wasn't part of my my childhood. I'll, I'll tell so. you about it later. <laughs> you do please. Um, but they had like like pirate movies, but then like they're like the show. If correct me if I'm wrong, but like the actual show was all about religion. Like, yeah, it was it was, it was like Bible adaptations. And this this is just a story I've heard. But uh, from my understanding, the reason all or most of the Veggie Tales stories are from the Old Testament mm. is because um, the man who created Veggie Tales, his mother was a very devout Christian, and she said, "Son." Please do not depict Jesus Christ as a vegetable. <laughs> so then all the stories are from the Old Testament. And I think that's really funny. 
I can't confirm. I've seen that online. Uh, I don't. I don't. I don't have a source for it, but I hope it's true. That's excellent. Um, yeah, just one quick line. I get or just because I guess it's a little even more on the nose than I had thought. Also, apparently they they had trading cards. What? They went they went ham on the merchandising as I'm looking at this. I mean, there was a lot of stuff. Um, but, yeah, titles of, like, like the fil- first film in 2002 was Jonah, colon, a VeggieTales movie. Yep. Um, I remember that. And I think the first episode that was sold, like, direct to, yeah, direct to video market, the first 30-minute program, quote, where's God when I'm s- hyphen scared, question mark. When I'm s- Scared. Scared. <laughs> yes. Um, which is, like, there you go. Oh, I found my new favorite Wikipedia page for the next little bit. I'm not going to go through it now, but it's just list of VeggieTales videos. Oh, good. We should do an episode where we talk about, we just bring two or three of our favorite Wikipedia pages. There is, <laughs> there's some gold out there. Uh, but, okay. So Henry would probably talk about a VeggieTales conspiracy. I can't speak as what I've learned today. Do you want to go or do you want me to go? Do you want to flip a coin? Um, I'll, I'll, let's flip an imaginary coin. <laughs> and then just decide where it lands. Yeah. All right. Okay. Heads. Oh, wait, who was... I'm calling heads. Oh, you're calling heads. I'm calling heads. I don't want to have to say what it was and I'm deciding. I want you to, what does it say? Heads. Oh, it's heads. All right. It's James. <laughs> then it was me deciding. <laughs> I could notice how I passed the buck under. Yeah, you did. Um, I would like to talk about the animated film, The Lorax. Oh, good. Um, 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 um The Lorax, based on... Oh, yeah? What's it based on? A story by Dr. Seuss himself. Oh, yeah. The Lorax, uh, a 2012 fantasy slash adventure animated feature. Wonderful film. That I know. I realize it's from 2012. So I was 12 when this movie came out. Meaning not like childhood childhood. Right. But it's still one of my favorite movies from mm-hmm. like uh, kid kiddom. Right. Um so I was I was kind of deciding like what to bring with this because I guess our, our our point was like the morals mm, childhood mm-hmm. morals and stories and films. Um, I very much enjoy this this film. Have you seen the Lorax? I haven't seen it all the way through. Actually, it's been the sort of no Did no. You it's, fall asleep? <laughs> no, but I have stories to that end about other other films. No, it was the sort of thing that was like on TV when I was like you know, like around it. Okay. Uh, so I saw part of it. Or, like, we turned it on partway through. Um, but I'm familiar with the story that it is based on, at least. Okay. Um, so, <clears throat> the story that it's based on. Uh, the Lorax is uh, a magical creature. He is the guardian of the forest. He is the Lorax. He speaks for the trees. He speaks, he speaks, for, the speaks for the trees. Which is my favorite line. I'm the Lorax. I speak for the trees. <laughs> um, I were used to know the rest of it, but I'm panicking because there's a microphone. That's fair. Um... um but the the film I very much enjoy because they treat the Lorax, they make it like a, a frame tale. They build a story outside mm. the original Dr. Seuss film. Uh, wonderful star-studded cast, Zac Efron, Taylor Swift, <laughs> Ed Helms, and Danny DeVito as the Lorax. <laughs> that makes me so happy. And it's so good. Because they didn't even have to animate him. They could have just had, <laughs> they just they done him. like a Who Framed Roger Rabbit and just put <laughs> Danny DeVito in the world of Honestly, the Lorax. Honestly, they look quite similar. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Is like um, You just kind of paint him orange uh, and you're, you're there. Uh, and it's, 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 it's very good. Basically, uh, the, the moral you'd think to gain from the Lorax is um, don't kill trees. 
yeah. you know, yeah, like environmentalism. Protect, protect the environment. But uh, both the original story and this film add so much more to it because the the way they do it is present day exists in a town called Thneedville. Um, it is called Thneedville. T H N E E D V I L L E. Excellent. Um, and it's and it's a town where everything is fake. It's like a, a utopia, dystopia type thing. Gotcha. Like where all like they have trees there, but they're all made of metal yeah. and they're like battery operated. Yeah. Like everything is fake, and it's somewhat post-apocalyptic mm. in the sense that. Um, the air is so bad that everybody has air machines in their home. And there is a, the main villain of the film is a man called Aloysius O'Hare, the man who found a way to sell air. Uh, he is the richest man because he figured out, uh, like, how to clean air mm. and then sell people clean air. Yeah, instead of So he delivers air. air to their houses mm-hmm. and, like, they put it, it's, it, those, those big water bottle things you put in the, like, on the... Oh, and like a machine, like a soda stream type of thing, or uh, no, like like the one oh, downstairs, like the big, like the big jug. Yeah, yeah, that you'd it's put that, in but it's full of clean air, Excellent. and you put it in your machine. Um, but it is somewhat post-apocalyptic in the sense that, like, it's it's bright and it's wonderful, and everyone loves it. But that, around the town is a massive wall, nice, like stories high, and it just says Thneedville across the top, and no one leaves town. Mm-hmm. Like that's the the thing. And this is just a town, so you don't know what the rest of the world is like. Right, right. Um, or how big this earth exists in Dr. Seuss's earth. A particular conception of it. Um, but you think he's just this big rich guy. And then basically, Zac Efron's character, who's a young boy, he's like around 14, he's in love with Taylor Swift's character, and he would do anything to impress her. She is obsessed with these things called trees mm. that ha- no one has seen for years, and she would give anything to see a tree. Uh, so Zac Efron's like, how do I find a tree? He talks to his grandma about it, uh, played by Betty White. Uh, <laughs> Betty White's wonderful in this film. Um, and because she's old, she remembers when there used to be trees. Mm-hmm. So it's established that an old person remembers yeah. trees. Well, yeah, we're like two generations So we're like two generations trees. in. But there are young people that is clearly established later in the film that have never seen trees and they don't know what is on the other side of the wall. Right. Uh, so she's like, you have to go talk to the onceler. And this is, that is the main character from the original story. Mm-hmm. He goes to talk to the onceler, who's Ed Helms. Ed Helms tells him the story of what happened to the trees. Gotcha. And that story is the is plot of the original, original Lorax. Right, right, right. But there's a lot added to it by adding this frame tale because you find out that Aloysius O'Hare is not only rich, he also controls the city. He controls all the security cameras, and he's mm-hmm. like, why is that kid leaving town? Mm-hmm. You know, and, he's, and he starts going after him, and it's like awful. And it's and it's because he doesn't want trees to come back because mm. they're a threat to his business. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> because it's they create air free, for free natural air production that'll destroy us. That'll destroy us. But I wanted to talk about uh, the morals of it because it is it is quite good. Um, Ed Helms's character, the Onceler, is a very innocent young man, and he goes off. Uh, he leaves his family to uh, pursue his dream of inventing the Thneed. What is the Thneed? It's a fine thing that all people need. That's its only description. Yeah. Um, it's a big fabric thing that has a million uses. And the the only thing he, that he's found to create it perfectly is the truffula tufts from the mm. truffula trees mm-hmm, in this mm-hmm. forest. Uh, he goes out. He chops one down. The Lorax appears. And he's like, I'm the Lorax. I speak for the trees. I'm the guardian of the forest. And it's it's Danny quite beautiful. DeVito. Danny DeVito. <laughs> oh, um, sorry. That's great. And... I, I think something you. quite sentimental about it 
is the first thing the Lorax does before he speaks any lines. Mm. He's like he there's big thunder and lightning. He appears out of the stump of this tree, and he he's literally like a god. And he looks around. He's like, "Why have I been awakened?" Yeah. And he looks around, and then he sees the stump of a tree, and he gets quite sad. And the first thing he does is he like somberly turns around and goes and picks up like rocks. And mm. then he makes a rock circle around the tree as sort of like a burial mark. Mm-hmm. And they're like, this is tragic for them. And then all the forest animals help out. And then he goes and confronts the Onceler. Uh Long story short, long story long. Um, <laughs> the Onceler promises he'll never chop down another tree. He'll only harvest the tufts. He won't chop down the trees. All is well. Eventually, people start buying the Thneed because it's a great product. And he needs to make them faster. Mm his family convinces him to start cutting down trees again and he kind of boots the lorax out and lorax is like you broke your promise and there's this now i'll uh, run seven plagues on you and your family. no no, no. There's, a, there's a consistent thing is the one says like then why don't you use your powers to stop me and the, the lorax every time says i told you it doesn't work like that yeah i speak um, for the trees I'm, I'm not their the militia trees. i'm not like, gonna fight you yeah and it's uh quite wonderful and there's this there's this beautiful moment where uh, the Onceler snaps and he says, I'm going to do what is best for me and I'm going to make my company bigger and bigger and bigger and you can't stop me. And the Lorax says, and I wrote it down, he says, which way does a tree fall? And there's a pause and the Onceler's like, what? And he just goes, a tree falls the way it leans. And he walks away. <gasps> and I'm like, Danny DeVito. <laughs> it's, I think that's a wonderful moral, like, which is just be careful the path you tread. Yeah, because that's, that's where that's you ultimately... Where you, that's where you're going to end up. Yeah, you were even heading one direction slightly. <clears throat> yeah. Potentially dooms you to that direction in the extreme, mm-hmm. even if you don't wish it. And then the the other thing that gets me is immediately after that, it, it's, it's also a musical movie. Um, so the once there's, like, there's a, a montage song called How Bad Can I Be? In which he starts chopping down all the trees. Mm-hmm. And they like his company gets bigger and there's smog and like gunk... Uh, and he's polluting everything. And that is eventually why Thneedville is created a couple generations later. Because the pollution is so bad on the mm. outside. But its song is, how bad can I be? How bad could I possibly be? Mm. Like, who cares if a few trees are dying? Like, it's it's fine. My, like this, I'm getting so rich. And the mentality of this, which I think happens so much, is like, it's fine if we sacrifice a little bit. Yeah. It's like, it'll be fine. How one bad dude, how could many this possibly, cut down? Like, how could this, how bad could this possibly be? Like, it's fine. I'm mm. like, I'm not ruining anything. Yeah, at least not single-handedly. Right? And, and it's this mentality, like, because he starts out as this very innocent character. And then he gets to be the villain somewhat. And, but he's, you see this whole justification of like, how, how bad could this be? Like, it's, it's fine. I'm not I'm not hurting anybody. I'm only making things better. And then the song ends uh and he and the Lorax uh appears again. Uh and they clearly haven't seen each other for a long time. Mm-hmm. And the one is like you can't stop me. Nothing is going to stop me. And in the distance there's a large like a whack sound. Yeah. And the camera turns and a tree falls over. And the Lorax goes, "That's it. That's the last one. That might stop you." And you're like, oh my god, because it's how bad could I be? How who cares if a few trees are dying? Yeah, he oh, has, no, and then immediately you see he's destroyed the whole area. Entire. There are no more trees left. Mm. And then the Lorax uh, sends all the forest animals away. He goes, they can't live here anymore. 
I don't know what to do, but I'm just going to send them in that direction and hope, hope they, they find, find a place. Forest, yeah. And um, there's this ongoing joke. The Onceler didn't see uh, the Lorax appear with big thunder and lightning, so he doesn't believe he's a magical creature. Mm-hmm. And Lorax just looks him in the eyes, and then he floats off into the sky and disappears. And I'll, there's this moment of like, oh shit. Like, I actually really just messed up. Mm-hmm. And upon where the Lorax has disappeared, he was standing on a rock, and now it says, unless, on it. And that's the end of the story. And then it cuts, like, back to the, the future, and the Onceler is telling Zac Efron's character this whole story. Mm-hmm. And he goes, and I've stared at the rock for years trying to understand it, and I think I finally get it. And this is my favorite Dr. Seuss quote of all time. He says, I think it means, like, Unless someone like you cares a whole awful lot, nothing is going to get better. It's not. Yeah. And then he gives Zach Efron's character the, the last truffula seed. He goes back into town. He plants it. Happy ending. Yeah. And I just think something that like seems such a basis of like, uh, protect the earth. Don't, don't hurt the trees. Like that's what the Lorax is when I first think about it. But all these like, underlying things of like how someone can become awful while justifying it to themselves Mm -hmm. like which way does the 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 tree lean be careful like Mm -hmm. be careful what you do and the fact that that last quote is not just about this but it could be about anything yeah literally any any issue unless someone is unless someone does something nothing's going to happen Mm -hmm. and that's such a like a coverall like wonderful moral for children that I, i very much enjoy yeah that's excellent well, good. I'm, I'm glad we were able to draw. I mean, I, I fucking love Dr. Seuss. It's He's wonderful. Great. And what's, I guess, striking to me is that I haven't held a Dr. Seuss book in a while, mm-hmm. but most of the images are still very strong in my in yeah. my head um, because they're they're excellent. Uh, uh, oh, the Places You'll Go, for example. <sighs> wonderful still, words. Still just burned into my head, especially the whole bit where... Uh, they're talking about getting old and it's just like factory of various pills coming mm-hmm. out and how you're eventually going to have to take a regimen. And I realize in hindsight, like this is a kid's book. Yeah. And <laughs> Seuss is telling you like, quite deep. eventually you'll get old and have to take a bunch of medication uh, and they're just going to sell it to you. And then he keeps going and he's talking about, you know, yep. going off to faraway lands, but also like, wait a second. Mm-hmm. I think it's excellent. So thoughts. Yeah. No, on that's the, on Danny DeVito's The Lorax. <laughs> that's, I mean, who better? To be a font of wisdom than Danny. and inspiration than Danny. There was, I don't think it exists anymore, but there was a website that you would put in. I mean, you could do it yourself, but it was more funny on a website where you put in your height and it would tell you how many Danny DeVito's tall you were. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which I think is, that's a, a public service that ought to, you it know, is. ought to be made available. Maybe we'll do that. Um, we'll put that together. But no, I think that's great. And I, I think that, yeah, the, the, the Onceler's interpretation of the unless is is good. And that goes back actually to when we were talking about uh, veganism and vegetarianism. If the mm-hmm. goal is with environmental conscientiousness in mind, um, which is a bit redundant, that you do have to make some small iterative step, yeah. even if it is just you, because how bad can you be? Well, evidently quite bad <laughs> yeah. if, if nobody cares I at just, all. I, I only realized that when I watched the movie again last night. Like that justification, and then the the final thing is that the final scene is there are a bunch of baby trees growing, and the once they finally exits his house for the first time in years, he's watering them, and the Lorax like comes back down, mm-hmm. and he's like, "You did good," and then the movie ends. Yeah, and it's so it's so wholesome. Yeah, and, and maybe I just that's... love how many 
like layers of meaning. Mm-hmm. I wonder I if from the uh, you know as, as we're pulling that and like placing it into the world, right? Which is kind of the idea with the moral. Mm-hmm. Is like is that sh- should that very end of the the once loose sort of like turnaround or like recovery um, be dismissed as like happy ending neat bow because it's a kid's movie mm. or does that apply to this moral where like even if you spent your entire life doing the worst of things you could still like, theoretically yeah lean the other way um yeah and is it you know, like what what is the because unless he plants i mean arguably you'd have to plant so many more like he'd have to plant as many trees as would have grown if he yeah. hadn't chopped them all down which is presumably a more than the amount that he did right yeah so you know does the the distance there between the act that he did do for like uh redemption versus how much of like a debt or deficit he accrued is that gap like is that where grace exists where you're like you're willing to forgive him mm-hmm. for turning like leaning the right direction even though he didn't because it's now too late in his life to completely fix everything he did like that doesn't mean he's all bad yeah but it also doesn't mean he like he didn't do the right thing he chopped them all down in the first place and then yeah i think i think that's a good point i think i guess the ending is more so back to the leaning metaphor because it doesn't show a a lush forest right it shows like very dispersed baby trees they're very small and he comes out and he's watering them with a watering can so it is just we're leaning back this way again. Yeah. And it is to be assumed that one day the forest will grow back. Right. That is not the note we end on. Right. It is the note of we are just starting. Right. To, to, yeah. to try to turn back around. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I mean, I don't mean to dwell on the Onesler's like what his final moral adjudication would yeah, be. Yeah. <laughs> but it's interesting to me because it makes me think like what is the. Because, I mean, you can think of a bunch of. You can like come up with a bunch of hypotheticals where there's someone who, you know, does. A bad thing every day for all of their life except on the last day they do something good so they let's say they like exploit workers in order to make a shit ton of money and then on their deathbed the last day before they die they give all their money to charity it's like does that exonerate them from right like you know, 80 years of yeah, assuming they've been exploiting people since they were born which maybe because it's, um, it's it's that it's that idea that then that money is tainted somehow right or like or is it you know who you know if it if that dollar Ah, and it's like how, and if so, how far do you track back how far does that it go dollar? Back? Yeah, because what if I, you know, there's some person, some good foil to that guy, to like the rotten businessman or like the the change of heart businessman, we'll call him. Uh, and there's some foil to that of someone who's just like a, a like a untainted public servant who does everything good, and any money they get, they donate. Uh, you know, so people donate to them, and they pass it right along, and they put it back into the community and whatever. But what if the money that they got comes from someone who, you know, what if they got their money from the change of heart business guy? And it's like, does that yeah. does that not put food on the table, or does like does that not buy blankets? Does that not renovate the preschool? Does that not like? I mean, it does. It, that's like an ends justify the means kind yeah, of question, which is obviously messy, and we are not moral philosophers, but no, we're people. Neither of us. So that lets us that entitles us somewhat. To, to think about it at least what are our knee-jerk reactions and hopefully makes you guys think as well um because i my my gut reaction is like no you can't just undo past wrongs 
with like merely a present good. Right. I mean, like it's it's um, somewhat trivialized because it is a cartoon, but on paper. This man destroyed an entire forest. Well, yeah, there's like a whole ecosystem. Like you see, um, you see shots like uh, aerial shots of the whole forest. It's huge. It right. is massive. And then by the end of this song, every single living thing every is last. gone. Yeah, it is and barren. Like, it's just it's actually dead. And it's like all gray, and the the the, the sky is cloudy to the point where the nearest settlement um, needs a a a processing plant to clean their air. Right. And they need to live in this huge walled community, which is, um, at the, at the end when they're trying to like plant the tree, everyone starts revolting. Cause they're like, what, what, what the fuck is What's that? that? Yeah. What are you, what are like, you building? What are you, what are you doing? And then to convince people, um, Zach Efron's character, I think his name's Ted. Uh, he takes a big bulldozer and he knocks down a section of the wall. And they, all you see is just miles of like, uh, gray and tree stumps and mm-hmm. everyone's shocked which is how you know that like this new generation has never seen yeah. what is beyond the wall yeah and they've never seen a tree but you see the destruction and the effect it has had on like the next years of people yeah and then at the end it is all you see is like some like like a f- like foot tall trees right and like patches of grass everywhere mm-hmm. and, like it is nowhere near the start yeah. of the movie yeah and so yeah that's what like because you don't want to say like, it's obviously better off than if the one slur hadn't been willing to participate. Yeah. But it doesn't completely... And I don't know what is saying, like, well, you have to decide. Either he is all bad or all good. That's yeah, obviously yeah. not how it works. But a children's story brings those questions up in a really interesting way. Because typically the characters are all good or all bad. Because mm-hmm. conveying moral gray areas to kids in animated films is, is kind of tough. Um, <laughs> it is. <laughs> this is a child being like, you know, I don't really think... You know, I don't think what the one slur did at the end really, uh, you know, got him off the hook considering all the stuff that he did when he was younger. Like, that's not really... That's <laughs> oh kind of a tough God. one. I would um, absolutely love to see that. So, yeah, it, it makes you wonder. I feel like, in the end, it's... So, I would, and I would like... Um, as I said... Um, the the original story uh, is is written uh, in the frame of like still the the present day mm. like you can go you can go find the one slur and ask him what happened to the trees gotcha um, which is what gave them the idea for this for whole a story in which plot. someone does that yeah and the actual original story ends with it says unless someone like you cares a whole awful lot nothing's going to get better it's it's not the one slur says that and it ends with so catch calls the onceler. He lets something fall. It's a truffulous seed. It's the last one of all. You're in charge of the last of the truffula seeds. You second person. Uh, and truffula trees are what everyone needs. Plant a new truffula. Treat it with care. Give it clean water and feed it fresh air. Grow a forest. Protect it. Protect it from axes that hack. Then the Lorax and all of his friends may come back. Yeah, even and that, that happens like in the end of the film. Yeah, the way that story ends, it's like it's up to you. To try to make something happen. Yeah. That's all you can do is, like, try. Yeah, try to get it to lean the back the right direction. Right. Yeah. That's interesting. Some heavy stuff. Yeah, it makes you think. <laughs> Neat. Yeah, I, lo- I love Dr. Seuss. I love Dr. Seuss. Um, and just, it's all it's all that meaning packed into wonderful rhymes. Yeah, well, that's, that's my favorite part about going back and, A, hearing you say those as well. It's just like, wow. Such a really... really Really put all that info in there, and yeah. it comes across as like, oh my, last one of all. Like in a in a That's cute it. little couplet, we've 
like put all of this weight on this little object. Like that's that's awesome. Well, good. Yeah. What about you? Yeah, yeah. I wanted to talk about. I want to very briefly just mention to jog people's memories so they can go and, and think about it and and find it. Um, but when I was younger, I played uh, the putt putt games. I don't know if you're familiar. I think perhaps. Okay, it's a little purple convertible. The face goes around doing stuff. Continue. They're gold, is what it boils down to. I played, okay. it was a CD-ROM game. Um, I think so. And the two that I think I, I sunk the most hours into were Putt-Putt Saves the Zoo and Putt-Putt Enters the Race. Wow. They were excellent. And it's somewhere between, um, you know, just like a, a fun kids game and like edutainment sort of thing. You know, you would do side quests to get money to progress in the story and those side quests were you know help an old lady plant her garden type of thing or like <laughs> yeah. make sure you brush your teeth before you leave the house those those types of things or like math games or yeah, yeah, yeah. critical thinking puzzle solving stuff um but it was fun those were gold and i think they are all now available on steam uh valve's platform for games Wonderful. if you want to if you want to pick up a, a bundle of all of the putt-putt all games the putt-putt. yeah but just as like a side note, because like doing looking at children's stories sort of brought back memories because I'm just so old. Um, but I remember when you finish uh, any given putt putt game, and you know it rolls the credits, mm-hmm. and they included in the credits pictures of the people who voiced the characters, like in the studio, yeah. wearing headphones in front of a mic, all that next to each of the things, kind of these candid shots. And I remember as a little kid seeing the kids who voiced the animals in Putt Putt Saves the Zoo, and being like, I. I want to do that. Yeah. Like, that'd be awesome. What the hell? I could be one of the animals in Putt-Putt Saves the Zoo. Like, that'd be insane. Um, and so I partially credit or blame that. I'd say, for, here you are now. Yeah. And here I am, the voice of me on a podcast by us. Yes. <laughs> Listened to by us. By us. Uh, with no rolling credits with pictures of my face, which is probably for the best. But, yeah, so I just wanted to sort of share that. And if, if you played Putt-Putt growing up, I hope that you go out and... And it makes you think uh, about that again, brings back some memories. But that was, I I distinctly remember playing quite a bit of Putt-Putt Enters the Race and Putt-Putt Saves the Zoo. <laughs> uh, they're, they're gold. There's so many good kids CD-ROM. Because I was talking about this with uh, some friends the other day, and they brought up, um, like, Pajama Sam was another one, uh, which I had I had never I played. But it's made by the same, the same company. Um, I don't remember the names of any, but I remember playing them. Yeah. And then Freddy Fish, uh, Spy Fox... Spy Fox. And then a couple of others that are all made by... It's Humongous Entertainment is the <laughs> name of the, the company, which I think is great. Uh, but the, the story How I actually, much entertainment? Dude, humongous. Oh, wow. That much. Uh, the story I want to talk about, though, is Maurice Sendak's Where the Wild Things Are. Yes! Which I love. I think it's great. It was just to get some some factoids out of the way. Did that? Did you see the the film they made of that? Yeah, it's whack. Years ago? I, I did not get, see it. it it's whack. Um... I didn't love it. <laughs> was, yeah, was it true to the... Yeah, it, it reminds me of the Lorax insofar as it is, you know, riffing somewhat, okay, yeah, right? Yeah. Um, but it's also just like, those are characters that are... I like Sendak's illustrations. Keep them on the page and don't make weird oh, yeah, yeah, live-action-y yeah. versions yeah, yeah, yeah. I get that. That's whack. Um, but if nothing else, you know, jogged people's memories of it again, which I like. Uh, so it was published in 63, 1963. Uh, it was Harper wow. and Rowe. It's 40 pages long. Everything was written and illustrated by Sendak himself. Um, So if you're not familiar, it follows Max, a young boy who has a wool sort of like wild animal costume that he wears with a tail and ears on this little hood and claws. And he's a bit of a, a bit of a little, you know, a little 
whirling dervish, if you will. He runs about and he <laughs> causes chaos. And so there are a bunch of illustrations of him, you know, like nailing a hole into the wall, drawing his name on the wall with a marker, chasing oh, nice. his dog around the house, that sort of thing. <laughs> That's so funny. Uh, I think there's one where he's chasing his dog with a fork. Uh, it's a little... Oh my yeah. gosh. So we'll get to that in a second. I'll get you. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so it's basically he is a wild thing and his mom refers to him as a wild thing and he ends up getting... Because he misbehaves so much, he gets sent to bed without his supper, which makes him very, you know, sad and angry at his mom and whatever. And he slowly begins to imagine, and his, you know, mm. trees start to sprout through his bedroom. And so he hops in his his boat that he has. He's obviously. having hunger hallucinations. Exactly. <laughs> was, and that's, that's some of what gets brought up. Because I'm talking a minute about, you know, how it was, it was banned in a number of places. People didn't like it for for similar reasons, where it's oh, like sort of because of its food security commentary, like that type of thing. Mm. Um, but you know, he hops in his boat and he sails for I think it's like a year. And uh, through weeks and a day or something like that um, in similar sort of fantastical language. And he gets to the land of the wild things and they're all trying to scare him. And he just looks him dead in the eye and doesn't blink. And they go, oh, my God, you should be our king. Uh, and so, he's <laughs> so he becomes their king. Uh, and then the, the great line, let the uh, wild rumpus start. Um, yes. Which apparently Sendak went on Colbert uh, and Colbert asked him. So, like, is rumpus... What is a rumpus? Like, is that sex? Uh, and Sendak's like, sure. <laughs> what? So whatever you did, so whatever you do to let loose, have fun, go wild. Like I don't care. Adults forget about that too much, um, which is great. I love that. Sendak is wonderful, and I have a, my favorite part of all of this. And the reason I wanted to, to bring Wild Things is for this this one interview with him. But so yeah, so he plays with the Wild Things for a while, and then they all go to bed. Um, and then Max is left sitting there, and um. he feels lonely and wishes that he were somewhere that he like is loved, right? And it isn't just surrounded by a bunch of, you know wild animals that are asleep. Um, and so he gets back on his boat and he sails away. Uh, and they wake up and they go, no, 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 like, don't leave. Uh, we love you so much. Like, we'll eat you up. We love you so is one of the, uh-huh. the things. And so he gets home um, because when he's laying, when he's alone and they're all asleep, he smells food and he realizes how hungry he is. And he heads yeah. home and he's back in his room and he wakes up and there's hot soup there that his mom has <sighs> made and left for him. Um, and it's just lovely. It's, oh, it's so wonderful because it, as far as morals are concerned, I mean, it says a lot about, A, like, you know, kids are kids can be wild. Humans can be wild. We don't let go, perhaps, as much as we... Yeah. And we like to believe we are we more wild in purpose. control, exactly, than, than perhaps we are. And so we chastise kids who run around and get into trouble and draw on the walls and stuff. Um, but there's, you know... He doesn't, you know, he doesn't explicitly state, but, you know, how much should we socialize that out of them? And how much should we let them be somewhat wild and indulge in their their roughhousing and they're figuring out how the world works by pushing the boundaries and it obviously leans a lot into imagination and, and the sort of value and potency of a kid's imagination um and then at the end like <clears throat> even if in this case you know you get sent to bed without your supper it's not as though your mom doesn't love you yeah. you still get your supper and you still like <laughs> there's a yeah there's there's and that's some of the socialization is like how much that that amount of wild was too much so i'm going to let you know that by making you wait for your food essentially um but there is this. Did you ever get sent to bed without dinner? No, but something my mom would often do is I would complain. I was the sort of kid who would say like I'm hungry while I was eating, so I what? think that bothered my mom and fairly so. It bothered me um, right now. Yeah, well, yeah, darn. Um, but yeah, so I was because I, I have two older sisters, and so comparatively, uh, my appetite was was greater sooner, uh-huh. and so I would eat a lot. And especially, you know, when growing and being wild and so yes. on. Um, and so often I would I would say, like, can I have, like, a snack or something? Uh, you know, relatively late at night, Mom would be like, well, go up, get in bed, and I'll bring you a snack. Um, 
and then I would fall asleep, and she would never bring me a snack, and that was the plan. And it took me years to realize that's what she was doing. It was very savvy. Wait a minute. Like, you know, I've never I've never woken snack. up to a snack. <laughs> I've never been woken up for once in snack. bed for a snack. This is... I'm starting to think there are no snacks. <laughs> like, wait a second. Snacks here, um, but I would still fucking fall for it. So I, I don't That's know. Um, but yeah, so there was an interview. Uh, Terry Gross interviewed Maurice Sendak. And Terry asked, can you share some of your favorite comments from readers that you've gotten over the years? Uh, this interview was in, oh, I don't, I don't actually have a year. I'll have to figure that out. Um, but Sendak said, oh, there's so many. Uh, can I give you one that I can I just can I give you just one that I really like? It was from a little boy. He sent me a charming card with a little drawing. I loved it. I answer all my children's letters, sometimes very hastily, but this one I lingered over. I sent him a postcard and I drew a picture of a wild thing on it. I wrote, "Dear Jim, I loved your card." And then I got a letter back from his mother, and she said, "Jim loved your card so much he ate it." That to me was one of the highest compliments I've ever received. He didn't care that it was an original drawing or anything. He saw it, he loved it, he ate it. Wow. And I think that's fucking awesome. And I, I love that he's, uh, I would take that as a compliment. That's so great. Like, oh, that's perfect. That is an original drawing. This is an original artist from of the, the book you love. Yeah. And you're like, I am going to consume it. He loves it so much he ate it up. I mean, it's li- like, oh my God, it's so good. That's true. Wait, that is, and I didn't realize, that's the quote, right? Yeah, that's, uh, we love you, we'll eat you up, we love you so. So like, it's, wow. Oh, I just, there's something about that that is so, like, that's that's the right amount of wild. I don't know how much how that applies to other situations when child-rearing, but, like, that type of unfettered passion that this kid has for the, like, wow, I love this, and he ate, eats it. Yep. So if you ah. ever want to really throw someone off in a social situation, <clears throat> it's just, just eat paper. Mm. It'll, it'll get them. I've done it a couple times. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, do you have, what is um, the, I need some context. A, like, what was the intended Like, don't just randomly eat paper, but like, if someone, if something is handed to you that is relatively <laughs> unimportant. <laughs> and you just fucking eat it. <laughs> <laughs> because the first, the first example is, um, when we, when we were at the, the, the callback uh, a couple weeks ago. Oh, yeah. For, for coats. Long story, long story short. Oh, yes, yes, we yes. We were playing an improv game in which one person hands another person a piece of paper that is important to both of them. Yeah, it's like a coat check uh, yeah. claim ticket. So, like, both, it's important to both people that the other person holds on to this. And it's an improv game, so it's not actually important. But in the game, it is highly important. Yeah, you need to so keep someone handed it to coat. me and I said, thank you. And I just ate it. Yeah. <laughs> I just I ate the piece now. of paper. <laughs> it threw off everybody. I'll never forget this kid, Zach, uh, who I went to elementary school with. Uh-huh. Zach was, was, was full of wonderful antics, including but not limited to sitting down halfway through our mile run uh-huh. uh, and taking 20 minutes to complete it because he just decided to sit down partway through. Um, but he, <laughs> when you were tardy in my like elementary school, um, you know, kindergarten through whatever, you would, you have to go into the office, you know, check in in the office because you know, have to figure out where you need to go. Uh, and they would give you a little tardy slip and you'd have to turn oh, that yeah, into yeah, like yeah. your homeroom teacher. And there was, you know, Zach was, was often tardy. And there was a day when he was tardy uh-huh. and came in and sat down in like the back of homeroom, um, but hadn't, wasn't immediately addressed because the teacher was explaining something. And so, so as not to have to turn in his tardy slip, he ate it. And there was just something... <laughs> It was wild for so many reasons because it was one of those similar to, I think, someone handing you, you know, you hand your ticket to an usher 
and they tear it off and they hand you back the stub and you say thank you and you just eat it. Thank you. Like because you, you don't need it anymore. No, but it's like the it would just be so like you said so disorienting. And I think what it does is a little bit of what what Sendak is getting at of like the world is less controlled than you might think. And so to watch a human being just take this piece, like, this this document, this information, and just consume it is so, like, world-shattering. I'm, I'm absorbing this information. I know what seat I am to sit in. I am the ticket. Um, but there's, like, it just makes you realize, like, oh, God, is everything, like, more loosely bound together than I thought? Is our world less structured than I wanted to believe. It, and very much so. And it's I, punching I, a I hole love, in the wall of Thiedville, like or Thiedville. It is. I love and I love that moral of uh you said Colbert asked what is a rumpus? Like yeah. is it sex? And he said, sure, if that's what it is for you. Yeah, it's whatever like, you whatever you, let you loose. So just just to like go wild sometimes. And it reminds me of there's a wonderful scene uh, in an episode of Phineas and Ferb. Ah, good. Which if you know if that's you're a, familiar with the plot of Phineas and Ferb there's an ongoing side plot mm. where their pet platypus Perry doubles as uh, doubles as a secret agent. I think primaries as a secret agent. Primaries, yeah, and, honestly, and comes he's a secret agent. Just and a household. He pet. usually uh, competes against his his frenemy, yeah. Doctor Doofenshmirtz. Yeah, of Doctor Doofenshmirtz, Evil Incorporated. Yes, uh, and there's an ongoing gag. Anytime Perry enters uh, Doofenshmirtz's home for the first time. Dubinschwartz traps him in some sort of new elaborate trap. Yeah. And there's one time Very where, where, they're, yeah, yeah. where they're on a train and Dubinschwartz is sitting in the dining car. Uh, and Perry like bursts in and he like he, he lands in the seat opposite Doofenshmirtz and he goes ah Barry the platypus as he goes and he goes I have you trapped which is like his classic line and Perry looks around confused because he's clearly not, not trapped. trapped he's just sitting and in the he seat. goes I have you trapped by the social convention of the fact that we are sitting in the quiet car of this train and you wouldn't dare cause a disturbance. <laughs> <laughs> and Barry the Platypus looks around and sees everyone eating as quietly as they can and just being completely silent. And then he like he was ready to fight and he just calms himself and he sits back in his chair and he's like, all right. <laughs> like, you got like, me. Let's, let's you got and he's trapped by this social convention because uh, you can't be wild. This yeah. The world is put together. It's so funny. <laughs> oh, I love it. And that goes back because this, this is tying in Rules of the Universe, which is a through line, of course, that like, I'm sure you've experienced things are funniest in times when you are to be the quiet, like most quiet and most still. Um, that it is just, it is violently difficult when you are sitting in a homeroom as a yeah. kid or, you know, someplace that you are so sure that you can't make a sound and you turn around and Zach Munitz is pushing the back corner of his tardy slip into his <laughs> mouth and you're like, you can't draw attention to that. Are you kidding? But also, like, that is the most... And the moment the teacher says to stop laughing... Oh, yeah, that's so funny. It's over. It's so funny. That I was... got kicked out of class many times for laughing. Mm. See, I was I was the awful person who would do something to laugh, and then very early on realized I had the ability to stifle my laughter and come across as though nothing had happened. Um, and so we would, like, you know, you'd play, take a, a ruler and put it halfway off your desk, put an eraser on the desk uh -huh. half and just smack the other side, make a little makeshift catapult, launch the eraser, have it hit the ceiling. Yeah. Uh, and then the people at your table would laugh and you would just have to sit there. Stone cold, like, I don't know what they're laughing about. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry, ma'am. They're just clearly misbehaving. Um, I will never forget just briefly in a ceramic, this is ooh, reminiscing. Here we go. Yes. Uh, we had a ceramics class in my, in my elementary school, nice. which was awesome. 
And uh, Miss Nancy, who taught it, was absolutely wonderful. She was a terrific, you know, ceramicist. Uh, I actually did, like, summer camps with her oh. at her, her studio. It was, it was very cool. But we, you have your clay, and then you have, like, slip, which is sort of like a clay water mixture yeah, that yeah, you yeah, use yeah. to, it's like glue, spackle. Um, and my, my best friend, Jet, and I were always, you know, sitting next to each other and kind of screwing around. We had to be careful because you had, uh, like, the, the needle tool, which was like a little metal... Um, like tiny little ice pick that you'd use to score up your clay. Uh-huh. But we, at one point, I don't remember what the situation was. I don't even know if it was us, but someone threw a piece of, like a small piece of clay that was soaked in slip, just straight up while Miss Nancy wasn't looking and it stuck <laughs> it to the ceiling. And we lost it. Oh my God. And that is, I think to this day, the hardest I have laughed to the point that like Jet and I had to get up and walk outside and go and get a drink of water. And we couldn't drink from the water fountain because of how hard we were cackling. It was debilitating that is the best uh, like memory faces hurt from laughing because of yeah laughing. i remember oh one time I was, in, I was in social studies i don't even remember what was funny yeah that's the best cracking up and i was like and it's like that thing where it's it's between you and another person mm. and that it's it was just something funny shared between you and it was hilarious and the teacher says stop laughing which makes it 10 times funnier mm-hmm. and you're like okay i've calmed down <laughs> that's the you worst just, you just look at the other person if you <laughs> so, make eyes for half a second oh. i start laughing again to the point where like my, my teacher's like do you need to leave class yes and i'm like yeah <laughs> Dude, that's not the answer they want to hear this isn't gonna stop anytime soon but i'm just like yeah i need to leave and, I, so and I go sorry. out and you either, i feel kind of dumb but i still laugh for like five yeah minutes yeah because you can't fucking stop it's oh it's so good yeah. oh that happened to me in rehearsal yesterday um good. I, I felt really bad because we had to keep running a bit because usually I'm, I'm, I think I was actually better at it when I was a kid at like stifling my laughter when something was supposed to be funny per se. But now I just crack uh, and it's happened in so many, so many shows where there are bits that there is laughter. <laughs> and sometimes it's, you know, audience laughter, especially if you've been rehearsing for a while and you're not used to, especially yeah. when you're rehearsing a comedy, you can't fucking tell what's funny. Like it's, yeah, it's tough. You never can. Uh, and then suddenly you have a, a whole audience of people and they're, they're laughing at something and you're taken off guard a little bit. Um, but because they laugh at things you never expect that's, them to that's laugh what at. Gets me. And you're like, you why was joke, that funny? You leave a touch of air. You know, you're not being too arrogant. You're not pausing and looking at them and waiting for them to laugh. But you leave a touch of air and they don't laugh. And you go oh, and you keep going. And then you say something and you're halfway through the next thought and they're Crabby. losing their minds. And you're like, uh, wait a second. What am I? Sw- okay. And then you keep going. Uh, and it's oh god, this is great. This is great. I also just wanted to mention where the wild things are is the fourth most checked out book. At the New York Public Library. All time. What are the top three? Top three. One is The Snowy Day by Ezra Jack Keats. Is that um, the like the one they made the film out of? I, with the snowman? Or is that the snowman? What is The Snowy Day? <laughs> I, I'll be completely honest. I don't know. Is yes, that, yes. It is. Yeah. Yeah. That's no, this looks this looks familiar. That's the most checked out book. Yeah, I wouldn't have... Like children's book or book? Now that I see the cover art. Uh, book. That's beautiful. Yeah. Second is, I think it was Cat in the Hat. Let me check. Yeah, Cat in the Hat. Ha ha. Then 1984, which apparently in 2017, the New York Public Library ran out of copies of 1984 and had to order more because they were so frequently checked out. The Snowy Day, Cat in the Hat, 1984, 1984, Where the Wild wild Things Are, and then To Kill a Mockingbird, Charlotte's Web, Fahrenheit 451, uh, How to Win Friends and Influence People, Dale Carnegie's book, 
first Harry Potter, very hungry caterpillar. But the idea that, like, I, there's something very satisfying to me. And I love To Kill a Mockingbird. And I love Fahrenheit 451. But there's something satisfying to me about the fact that Where the Wild Things Are is above both of them in most checked out books. Yeah. And it's one metric, right, in the New York Public Library and so on. But, but that's wonderful. I just I really enjoy that. Um, also, just very briefly, and I know very little about it other than stumbling across it as I looked, but there is a Where the Wild Things opera, which I didn't know existed. But it's uh, one act, nine scenes. There it is. Um, it exists. I also just love the character names. You have a name that is relatively difficult to pronounce, some interesting name, slash female wild thing, slash wild thing with beard, slash wild <laughs> thing with horns, rooster wild thing, bull wild thing, and then goat wild thing. Good, good. Um, there's also a sea monster wild thing. Its voice type is described as prop. It's a prop. It's not a person. Um, but it still gets an entry. Um yeah, it's oh yeah, I just I just love the story. Uh, so yeah, as I mentioned, it was it was banned a couple of places for you know witchcrafty stuff. It was banned uh, for uh, promoting you know this kid chasing his dog with a fork and, and generally misbehaving. It also had the food scarcity issues of sending your kid to bed without food as yeah, a, as a form yeah, yeah. of punishment, fair. Uh, that type of thing. It is also worth, and this is obviously this this is a larger topic which we don't necessarily need to broach right this second. But Perfect. the the difference between working to explain a behavior as opposed to justifying said behavior. Yeah. Right? Like, why would why was this done? Not saying that made it okay to be done, but why was it done? And one of the things to keep in mind is this was published in 63, 63. and Sendak explicitly said, like, it's not necessarily a, a kid's book. You know, it wasn't, yeah. like, yeah, it's it's a book for kids and it's imagination and so on, but it's not like I don't think of it necessarily as a children's book. Yeah. And some of the best books aren't, you know, even though the best, like, look at the most checked out New York Public Library books. Yeah. Um, Lorex and all of the Seuss works are a similar example. Like, there's a lot in there. It's not just pretty pictures. Like, there's clearly something more to it that is that is biting or, like, that, that grips on that people have continued to interact with them for so long. Um, so why why diminish it to, uh, oh, it's oh, it's a kid's book. Or it's uh-huh. a kid's movie. So, um, there's also a really neat, when Disney was first working on, and this ties in the Aladdin stuff, and they were first working on CG for animated movies, uh-huh. they used um, Where the Wild Things Are, scenes from Where the Wild Things Are, to like practice their CG. So it combined, uh-huh. it was a computer-generated uh, background that could be moved around in three dimensions, paired with the traditional Disney hand-drawn characters. Oh, that's cool. And there's like some really that. interesting illustrations. And you can, if you look up Disney Wild Things CG, you'll find the original stuff. And it looks awesome. Yeah. And to think that this was all done as, like, the first CG as Disney was figuring out, <laughs> can we do this for our films? Which is nuts to think about. Um, but, yeah. I think that's a wonderful moral from, yeah. from that story. Be, be wild. Like that that but it don't... isn't really, like... And I think it applies to a lot of kids' stories, quote-unquote, mm. that they're like, but this is something that's important yeah. to everyone. And even if the goal is just to get it, get them while they're young yeah. to learn these stuff. But, like, it's like, don't, don't, be, don't be constrained like that. Mm-hmm. You, you, don't, you, can, you can do what you want to do. Yeah. yeah. What you just said made me think, like, why is, yeah, why, why must uh, a children's story be a diminished uh, yeah, medium. It's like the kids are people too. Like, why well, is people? Books. And it's like, and, it's and, and, and like you books. said with uh, um, the like the whole sending the kid to bed without dinner. It explicitly states like what is too much mm. in a way, mm-hmm. but then um, also encourages the fact that like, but don't like restrict yourself in this way. Have yeah. a have a rumbus, 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 rumbus. R u m p u s. Yeah, have a rumbus every now and then. Which that just made me think as well of like what I think is helpful, or as I think about the. The 
the things or the topics that I, I feel like at this point in my life I have a reasonable understanding of or like a nuanced understanding of, um, it's the ones that I, it wasn't that someone sat me down and like explained with a PowerPoint, like these are all of the intricacies yeah. of XYZ topic, but instead it's the having to go out there and not be entirely sure and get one explanation and then go, okay. And then someone else gives you a different explanation. You go, oh, well, there are parts of match. that that seem true yeah. as well. And then, you, and so this is Sendak's illustration of like, this is how wild is too wild. And this is how to discipline your kid is one yeah. explanation. One idea. And so I think being able to give any given person at any stage of life as many of those as possible, as diverse yeah, of a, yeah. a variety of thought as possible uh, and this is why, you know, I'm a fan of things like the liberal arts or going out and seeing films or seeing live theater and reading stories. Like, you get – that's, I think, how you you get socialized or, like, get socially intelligent or just generally intelligent is uh, getting that d- diversity of explanation. Because it's so easy to to think, like, oh, someone just says, oh, no, no, but this is the way it is. Like, this is how you do this. Yeah. Black and white. You're, it's settled. Um, and then to have that uh, conflicted with – by someone else's more, like, radical, uh, quote-unquote, uh-huh. radical to you. The same way that uh, Zac Efron's character is like, yeah, yeah, no, there's more out there. People are like, whoa, slow down. Like, what do you, like, I don't, what, I don't do you hear that. About? Don't talk about that. Um, and being willing to broaden somewhat. And it's not always good, obviously. Sometimes you'll you'll go the wrong, you'll go too far again, yeah. as, as with Max. But I think that's interesting. Good. Very good. I think we're, I think we're about there. That was good. Henry, we miss you, but we, we understand. Miss you. And we are looking forward to uh, having guests in future episodes. So that's exciting. Yes. And you should look forward to that. We'll be dragging some poor unfortunate soul into the studio and and having them sort of uh, share in this discussion with us. I think that will be fun. It'll give us, as I was just sort of uh, extolling the virtues of a diversity of thought, it will give us a diversity of thought with uh, a number of different people with different experiences and, and different pieces of media. So as for where to go next, I guess... What do we what do we want to talk oh, about? Yeah. Um, what do we want to subject our next guest to? I was going to say the Wikipedia entries, but that feels like it's a a dig to go back there for that. The first thought, actually, the, the next thought was libraries. Um, libraries. I don't. Well, this, and then I guess this is the question now. Now with the format of of guests, mm. how we decide? Do they have a hand in we, that? Or? I feel like that, like perhaps a discussion with them. Yeah. Then the other part of me thinks, nah. <laughs> they, you know, they're they're a guest on the show in which we are talking about because it's less that it's our topic, and it's uh-huh. more that it's a the uh, topic. topic, yeah, a topic. Um, and so we're all engaging in that. And I understand it. I'm I'm not blind to the the bias uh, or of access that James and I have getting to decide the topic. Yeah. Obviously, it's not as though it's decided randomly, um, but. Yeah, so if, if anything leaps out at you, or any uh, rough yeah, ideas, I, and if we yeah, don't... I genuinely don't have any don't ideas like right now. Blonde. Yeah. I don't, because usually we end up somewhere completely different. We right. stayed kind of consistent this yeah. time. I think we should talk about moral philosophy for an hour. Sure. <laughs> no, sorry, that's what we did. I think we should talk about something else for an hour. A yeah. moral philosophy, that could be fun. Um, all right, well then I think I'm I'm content to leave this in the... In the air for now. The, the gray area yeah. of, uh, of Danny DeVito's ethics or, or what have you. I think um, so well. And then we will, we'll, we'll talk to uh, our, our next guest and we'll see where they're leaning. And they'll, they'll give this a listen and maybe let us know what, what comes to, you know, jumps out for them, what they thought of. And then as always, you are welcome to write in and let us know what you think. Uh, you can email or, or hit us up on Instagram or Twitter. It's all Tink Thanks Show. 
um, and and let us know if there's something that stuck out to you or a memory you had. You know, where in the world is Carmen San Diego? That type of thing. If something popped into your head from something we talked about, please let us know. Um, continue the synthesis and the discussion. And I guess that's that's our moral yeah. to to share it is like you should. The whole point of this was uh, conversation with friends about shared experiences. So. Go forth and converse, I suppose. Go forth and converse. If I had a, a neat couplet in insouciant fashion, I would share it now. But we'll, alas, we'll I do write not. one. We'll come up with one. It'll be a, an Instagram caption or something. Yes. What a time to be alive. Um, but if that's all, I, I think we're all set. Yeah. As always, thank you so much for joining us, and we'll we'll talk at you next week. Bye. Mm-hmm.